Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Saturday the 9th of December. I'm Kira Evans and this was a week that saw the government focus on migration. Boris testify at the COVID inquiry. Israel focused on southern Gaza and a big win for Taylor Swift. Grab a cup of something hot. Put up your feet and get up to speed on the seven biggest stories of the week. This is the standout seven from the Smart Seven. It's news, but not the news. This week saw the government attempting to tackle both legal and illegal migration in a move that ended with a split in the Tory party and real jeopardy for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. It started with a focus on the record legal migration numbers, which saw the government introduce new initiatives to cut back on work visas for the UK. It comes as the NHS is suffering from serious recruitment issues, with an estimated 120,000 open jobs in the NHS and over 150,000 open roles in social care. The new plan, which is designed to cut legal migration to 300,000 was introduced on Monday evening by Home Secretary James Cleverly. The five-point plan includes a crackdown on student visas and a review of rules on overseas graduates. We will stop overseas care workers from bringing family dependents. We will increase the skilled worker earnings threshold to 38,700 from next spring. Enough is enough. Labour's shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper said Rishi Sunak is now scrapping policies that he introduced and making decisions that make no economic sense. The previous Prime Minister was accused of being a shopping trolley, veering around from one side to the other. The current Prime Minister is clearly veering, but he certainly isn't steering. He's just climbed into someone else's shopping trolley. It wasn't just legal migration, though, as Home Secretary James Cleverly was on a plane to Rwanda on Tuesday. He hadn't been deported. He was instead on a mission to sign a new and improved treaty, which is intended to open the way for the government's scheme to deal with illegal migrants. Cleverly said that he was confident in Rwanda as a safe country and that the government was planning to move new legislation in the coming days. Speaking in Kigali, the Home Secretary was sounding positive about the new treaty. We feel very strongly that this treaty addresses all the issues raised by their lordships in the Supreme Court and we have worked very closely with our Rwandan partners to ensure that it does so. He's host Rwanda's Foreign Minister Vincent Baruta said his government is proud to help with the UK's migration crisis and he wasn't too happy about the way his country has been portrayed in the UK. How did we go from model to dangerous country in just four short years? And how much of this perception is linked to internal UK politics? The government's new Rwanda legislation was the main topic at Prime Minister's Question Time, with Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer piling on the pressure on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak with a crisp explanation of how exactly the Rwanda scheme has unfolded and giving all the credit to the Rwandan government. They saw this Prime Minister coming a mile off when having already banked £140 million of British taxpayer money, the Prime Minister appears again with another offer they can't refuse. A gimmick that will send taxpayers' money to Rwanda and won't stop the boats. 
In fact, the Rwandan government are threatening to pull out of the deal if Rishi's new legislation cannot fulfil the legal obligations required by the Supreme Court and the European Court of Human Rights. But Rishi was still doggedly defending his Rwanda plan. This week, we've outlined a plan bigger than any other government before to reduce the levels of legal migration. So if he cares so much about it, the simple question for him is, does he support the plan? Details of the new emergency legislation emerged on Wednesday and it became clear that Rishi settled on a compromise position that will see Rwanda designated as a safe country. The bill will require courts to ignore a key section of the Human Rights Act, but stop short of withdrawing from the European Court of Human Rights and ignoring the Act altogether. The compromise was enough to cause Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick to quit, describing the draft bill as a triumph of hope over experience. And it appears that the Tory party is split over the proposal. By Thursday morning, former Home Secretary Suella Braverman was leading the charge against the new bill on BBC Radio 4 when host Nick Robinson challenged her on her relentless attacks on all sides. Isn't the truth you're a headline grabber who does it by spreading poison even within your own party? The truth is that When I served as Home Secretary, I sought to be honest, honest for the British people. And sometimes honesty is uncomfortable. Then Rishi called an emergency press conference for Thursday at 11am and he brought that famous maths teacher energy with him. This time, though, it was very much, why haven't you done your homework vibes? As he sounded genuinely frustrated. He says it's his mission to block any route for asylum seekers that would prevent them being shipped to Rwanda. The idea that Rwanda isn't safe, blocked, and spurious human rights claims... You'd better believe that we've blocked those two because we're completely disapplying all the relevant sections of the Human Rights Act. The COVID inquiry has continued to work its way through the Downing Street module this week, which meant that Boris Johnson finally turned up on Wednesday and for possibly the first time in his life, He was early. He arrived three hours before the scheduled start time, presumably to avoid protesters and victims' families. But he'd only just begun a long overdue apology when proceedings were interrupted. Can I just say how glad I am to be at this uh, inquiry and uh, how sorry I am for the, the pain and the loss and the suffering sit down. of please, the please stop. COVID stop. victims. Please sit down. His tone was markedly different to the way he behaved at the Privileges Committee. He spoke quietly and admitted to mistakes, including underestimating the scale and speed at which the pandemic was developing. He also said he regretted calling long COVID bollocks, but said he felt it was important to have a challenging atmosphere in number 10. He agreed that mass events like Cheltenham should have been stopped earlier, and he revealed that he had apologised to Helen McNamara for the language used about her by Dom Comments. He also was asked about his memorable description of former Health Secretary Matt Hancock. You yourself said, totally f-ing hopeless. I, I would say that my job was not to uncritically to accept that everything we were doing was good. Thursday saw Boris back in the box for round two, where he came under pressure for his own remarks, including the let it rip comment, and was questioned at length about Rishi's eat out to help out scheme. Johnson said his own experience of COVID changed his view of the pandemic and he expressed his gratitude to the NHS. He was also challenged by a lawyer for victims' families who wanted to know about Boris's claims that the UK had defied gloomy predictions of mortality rates and he refused to accept evidence to the contrary, much to the annoyance of those in the public gallery. I'm Reporting to you some cold steel of evidence, but I don't believe that your. I think your. I don't believe that your evidence stacks up. Okay, and I think. And I think that. Well, actually, if you look at. Could we just 
Pause, please, Mr. Weatherby, Mr. Johnson. He also came under pressure over Partygate and criticised the media portrayal of Downing Street as a travesty of the truth, but he did at least apologise for the offence that was caused. You know, if I had my time again, of course I'd have done things differently. I would have sent repeated messages round saying, you know, make sure that everybody can see that you're properly following the, the guidance. So, frankly, I think it was logistically impossible to, to do that. This week saw Israel launch fresh assaults in southern Gaza as it continues with its mission to eradicate Hamas and its leaders. Palestinians who've already had to flee the north of Gaza are now being warned in advance of strikes. But the US says it's too early to say if those warnings are effective. As the civilian debt toll continues to climb, Turkish President Erdogan made his feelings clear on Monday, announcing that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will eventually be tried as a war criminal. Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan Nahum, strongly rejected the charge. Are we really taking moral lessons from Erdogan? The guy who imprisons and kills his own journalists? I'm not really not worried about what Erdogan's saying. Whoever his friends are, you know you're on the right side if you're on the other side. Aid agencies are flagging that as Israel shifts focus to the south, the Gazans, who've already been displaced, have nowhere to go. UNICEF spokesman James Elder was on the ground in the Gaza Strip. No one is safe anywhere. There is a region designated to be to be safe. It's about 4% the size of Gaza. They want 80% of the people in there. As the fighting continues, things are becoming increasingly bleak for civilians, with the World Food Programme warning of a catastrophic hunger crisis as it has become almost impossible to get aid through. Now that the conflict has spread to the south, UN Emergency Relief Coordinator Martin Griffiths says the conditions have become apocalyptic and made an attempt to deliver aid impossible. All of the relief agencies working in Gaza have joined together in an urgent call for a further pause in the fighting. A Norwegian Refugee Council spokesperson, Shona Lowe, says there's nowhere left for civilians to shelter. Over 80% of Gaza's population is internally displaced with nowhere to go. We desperately need a ceasefire in order to, to be able to finally address these des- dire needs um, because we cannot address them while there are ongoing hostilities, it is simply impossible. US President Joe Biden spoke to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu by phone on Thursday evening. America and Israeli allies are becoming increasingly concerned about the plight of civilians in Gaza as Israel steps up its assault on the southern end of the Gaza Strip. UK Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron was in Colorado attending a one-day Aspen Security Conference which saw a gathering of decision makers and thought leaders from around the world discuss the ongoing situation in Gaza. He says that Israel continues to face a real threat from Hamas. Hamas uses its people to try and defend its rockets. I mean, they have no regard for civilian casualties. I don't see there's some sort of moral equivalence. And Israel has to abide by international humanitarian law. And that's the point we keep making to it. November was a difficult month for Ukraine. Their widely anticipated counter-offensive has failed to make the quick gains that had been hoped for, while the Israel-Hamas conflict has diverted military aid and international attention. There's no sign of things improving in December either, as Russia continues to apply pressure and ammunition supplies run low. But NATO chief Jens Stolenberg says it's important to support Ukraine through the tough times. We have to be prepared for bad news as well. Wars are phased, but we we have to stand with Ukraine in both good times and bad. This is a war of attrition, a battle for efficiency. Boosting munitions production is critical, and we are working hard to make it happen.
The prospect of the U.S. providing any more aid to Ukraine in 2023 seems to be diminishing as the U.S. Congress under new Speaker Mike Johnson has blocked any aid package which doesn't include spending on the U.S.-Mexico border and changes in border policies. Democrats are not prepared to agree to that and there was hope that an appearance on Zoom by Ukrainian President Zelensky could change minds, but he cancelled his appearance at the last minute. UK Defence Secretary Grant Shapps says Ukraine needs more support and that it's a battle worth fighting. We cannot afford, and of course the Ukrainians can't, a Putin win. We cannot have a situation in the 21st century where uh, an autocratic leader thinks it's okay to invade a democratic neighbour and that the rest of the world will just give up and get bored of it. Speaking in the House of the Lords, Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron says that the UK will continue to support Ukraine. I, I don't have the figure here for what 2024 will provide. All I can say is we are absolutely committed to continuing to support Ukraine at the level or even ahead of what we've done. Wednesday saw Russian President Vladimir Putin make a surprise road trip. He arrived in the United Arab Emirates not to attend the COP28 climate talks, but for a meeting with UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zahid Al Nayyan. Then he was back in his private plane escorted by four Russian fighter jets and on to Saudi Arabia, where he met with leader Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. On the agenda for both meetings was a closer energy cooperation and a desire to shore up relations and the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Neither the UAE or Saudi Arabia have signed the ICC treaty, so Putin was in no danger of being arrested under the war crimes warrant, which remains outstanding against him. He was focused on strengthening trade relations with his energy allies. Last year, trade turnover increased by 67.7%. This year, I think it will be even higher. The same applies to investment activity and industrial cooperation is also advancing. Still to come on the Standard 7, COP28 turns chaotic and Taylor Swift wins big. Right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back. The COP28 summit got off to a difficult start after the conference president claimed there's no science backing up the need to phase out fossil fuels. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar was found to have made the remarks at an online event three weeks ago, but during a keynote speech on Sunday, he says it's important to restrict global heating to 1.5 degrees. We need to ensure that our plans and our uh, approach can cater for climate action while also ensuring sustainable socio-economic uh, development. The warnings about the accelerating risk from climate change are getting louder, but it appears that oil lobbyists and fossil fuel advocates are working hard to minimise the requirement to phase out oil and gas. The dual roles of the COP28 president, which is also the CEO of the United Arab Emirates oil company called Adnoc, has caused real concern. And former US Vice President and environmental campaigner Al Gore says placing Sultan Aldebar in charge of the summit may well have been a serious error. They have captured uh, the COP process itself, uh, abusing the public's trust by naming the CEO uh, of one of the largest and least responsible oil companies in the world 
uh, as head of the COP. Meanwhile, a new report suggests that the UK is going to miss the 2030 Paris climate targets by up to 10% based on current data. That would be a major embarrassment for the government who have consistently claimed to be climate leaders. As the COP28 struggles, US Special Presidential Envoy for Climate Change John Kerry was doing his best to keep the tone positive, even if his joke probably didn't play well in Dubai. There's a diplomat who came to the United States and the diplomat was asked, what do you think of democracy? And he said, well, democracy is like sex. When it is good, it is very, very good. And when it is bad, it is still quite good. Wednesday was a big day for the Swifty in your life as Taylor Swift was named Times Magazine Person of the Year. OMG. She was up against stiff competition too, facing off against Barbie, Vladimir Putin and every striking actor in Hollywood. Time magazine editor-in-chief Sam Jacobs says Tay-Tay won because she's the rare person who is both the writer and hero of her own story. She's had an amazing year of sellout shows while also taking firm stands on issues that matter to her and her audience. One of her many fans is Julia Roberts who told Jimmy Fallon about her experience up close with the icon. I took my kids. This was like our first big concert and Taylor had said before the show you know would you like to come up and I was like oh and then I said well can I get a Taylor Swift t-shirt to wear if I go on stage because I was wearing an outfit that I had worn like two days before on the Ellen show More than 30 years after he cemented himself into the Christmas canon, Home Alone star Macaulay Culkin's been presented with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was honoured during a ceremony last week which was attended by celebrities like Seth Green and Paris Jackson. And Macaulay was very emotional about the whole thing as he gave a shout out to his wife, sweet star Brenda Song, in his speech. Uh, you're my champion. You're, you're the only person happier for me today than I am. <laughs> um, you give me family. You know, and after the birth of our two boys, you become one of my three favorite people. You're somewhere in there. You've been listening to The Smart 7. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. Hit that follow button and have a great day. Give us seven minutes, we'll give you the world.